Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Hallelujah. If you will, turn back to uh, where we were last Wednesday night, Isaiah. Praise the Lord. Where, what was it? Chapter 41? I believe it was. Isaiah 41. Now, we've been studying spiritual perception, and we're going to dig a little deep tonight. There's always the opportunity to feed the milk of the Word, but there's going to be a little bit of meat in this tonight, so you're going to have to pay attention and, and uh, make application of it to your life as the Spirit of God reveals it to you. Now, the, the reason we're on this subject of fear is because it is a voice. It is a, uh, something that communicates to you in order to operate through you. Now, let me say, it, say that again. It's something that communicates to you in order to operate through you. Now, I've, in, in, in being in ministry now for 35 years, I've come to some conclusions about why people do some things and why other people do other things. You know, myself, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much geared. If I had a service to be in every night, I'd be in it. I, if I had a prayer meeting to be in every night, I'd be in it. I, I do so much less than I used to. Uh, 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 how can I say this publicly? But I don't do less than I used to privately. So uh, I'm believing God for increase, that we'll see more meetings, have more, uh, you know, uh, events of what God's doing in the earth, celebrate more of his goodness, celebrate more of what he's doing uh, in our lives personally. Uh, I think God loves for the church to be gathered together. Amen? Now, one of the first subjects that I, that I saw this in, in field ministry and talking with pastors, was the subject of tithing. Uh, people are so... Uh, mixed up, stirred up, you know, you just about name it, the emotion, and people can, you know, uh, uh, identify with it when it comes to you actually taking 10% of your money and giving it to God. I mean, people don't like that. They just like, you know, that ain't, that ain't right. That's my money. Well, if you study the scriptures, now I've been a tither for 35 years, and I'll tell you, there's great benefit to it. But for years, in listening to pastors and Friends of mine, you know, they, 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 they tend to lean more toward the rebellion side. Well, people just rebellious. They don't, they don't want to give. They don't want to do this. And other people would lean toward the ignorant side. Well, they just don't know. They don't know the, the fullness of what the Word of God. But I found out it's neither one. It's fear. It's fear of not being able to function with that 10% given to God like you could with what you thought was 90, 100% of yours. It's a fear. Now, fear loves to communicate, especially on the level of obedience to God. Because if fear can encroach into your life and get you not to obey God, he, the, the, the devil can keep you out of the blessings of God. Because you don't get into the blessings of God by fear, you get into them by faith, which is just the opposite. Now, let's go to the scripture real quick before I get ahead of myself. Isaiah 42, let's read here. It says, fear, there, fear thou not. Everybody say, don't fear. It says, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, the Lord does not want you in fear, or he really doesn't want you vulnerable to the communication of fear in your life. If you are, there's a whole lot less you're going to receive from God because of fear. But there's so much more you can receive of God because of faith. 
Fear is a horrible taskmaster. The Bible says fear hath torment. Fear will torment you. Fear will, fear will, 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 will cause you to have sleepless nights. Fear, fear is the source of a lot of depression. Fear is the source of a lot of anxiety. Uh, fear is the source of a lot of, you know, um, addictions that we have in the, in the world. In the United, a lot of people don't know how to handle fear, so they've got to either, either medicate from a doctor or they've got to self-medicate to deal with the fear of their life. Amen. And a lot of what we see in people's lives that has to do with anger, because there, there are a lot of angry people out there. Amen. Whether you know it or not, there are a lot of people that are very, very angry. And the reason people are angry is because of fear. What fear is, is fear is a Band-Aid that you put on your, excuse me, anger is a Band-Aid that you put on your fear. That's what it is. So if you understand that's how fear operates, then you'll understand how to get healed of some things in your life that have hurt you greatly. Now I want you to go over to, to, to let's go to Genesis first. We'll go there. We'll go to Genesis then we'll go to Job. Everybody say Job. And since I've got some time to teach this tonight, we'll, we'll take our time and trust the Holy Ghost to give us revelation. Genesis chapter 3, here in the fall of man in the garden, they've sinned. They've eaten up the, uh, of the fruit they shouldn't have. Bible says in Genesis 3, 7, and the eyes of them both were open. We can say it like this. Their physical eyes open, their spiritual eyes closed. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed themselves uh, fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, now notice this, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now notice, this is God's creation. This is the, the, the man and the woman. And obviously God had come down to commune with his creation every day in the cool of the day. God would come down and commune with. Could you imagine what that must have been like? Could you imagine the euphoria, the ecstasy of, of God of heaven and earth coming down and walking around on a planet that he created just for you, gave just for you? For you to have dominion over, for you to have to you, for you to have authority over, and just to come down and to fellowship and commune with you. Uh, there's no we have no idea in our minds what that must have been like. But today was a different day. Their response to God was not what it used to be. Their response was they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people today that do that. Now, we're not talking about the world, we're talking about the church, we're talking about Christianity. There's a lot of people that hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. You say, now why would they do that? Well, there's all kinds of reasons which we're going to explore some of them tonight. But listen, there was a voice speaking to them that was alien to their creation. Now let me say that again. There was a voice operating in their life that was alien to the way they were created. They were not created to have fear in them. They were not created to walk in fear. They were not created to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. Amen? But here they are. They're hiding from the presence of the Lord. Now notice this. It says, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was I was afraid. Now imagine that startled God. Now I think a lot of people... They let, they let religion paint a picture of God for them instead of letting the Word do it. Amen. Because a lot of people think, well, God knew they failed. God knows everything all the time. He knew when they created it. No, He didn't. Yes, 
No, he didn't. You say, what do you mean? God has the ability to know everything. He's a sovereign God. He's an omnipresent God. He's an omnipotent God. And he has the power to know everything past, present, and future. Does he? Absolutely not. You say, how, do you, how can you say that? Well, through redemption, he doesn't even know you were a sinner. All he knows now is you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, that old things have passed away, that all things are new. The psalmist shows us in the, in the Psalms that he has taken our sin and removed them from us as far as the east is from the west, never to remember at against, us, against us again. None of your, He doesn't know you. He didn't know that you were a sinner. He didn't know that you had those addictions. He didn't know that you had that. Those, all he knows is that you're now washed in the blood, that you're as holy as Jesus is holy, as righteous as Jesus is righteous. That's how he chooses to think about you. Amen. Amen. Now notice, he said, I hid myself in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, I was uncovered, and I hid myself. Now notice this. And he said, who told thee that thou was, a, who said you were naked? Well, let me tell you who said he was naked. The voice of fear did. Fear said to him, as soon as he sinned, as soon as he ate that fruit, fear got on his shoulder and said, buddy, you've done it now. Now, what was his fear? Now, now, now we're going to go right down to the bedrock where the rubber meets the road and find out what is the root. Sometimes you've got to go to the root cause. You can't treat symptoms anymore. You've got to go right down to the root. Why is there such fear in humanity. Why is there such fear in some people? Why was there fear in the man in the garden? You know what it was? Judgment. You said, in the day that I eat of the fruit thereof, I shall surely die. I don't even know what that means. And what does the adversary do? The adversary reinforces the reality of judgment in God's people. If you miss it here, if you miss it there, by doing that, he creates religion. Now, let me just say something. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. One translation says this, it'll give you great freedom. Did you know there's a lot of people that are Christians that don't have any freedom to serve God? They don't have any freedom for joy. They don't have any freedom for happiness. I mean, everything that they do, they're, they're, they're trying to perform in front of God so that they won't draw judgment upon themselves. There's a fear, and it's not the right kind of fear of God. The kind of fear you should have of God is a reverential fear of God that has to do with His authority and you being submitted to Him. Now, I dug some things out and looked in some other notes that I had. First of all, we, we kind of, I wanted to amplify on the, on the uh, explanation or on the, uh, what the dictionary said about fear that I, that, I, that I gave you last week. So I'm going to amplify on it a little bit. What is fear? Now there's two different, how can I say this, definitions. Fear in a noun form and fear in a transient verb form are two fear. Amen. Are you with me? Fear. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the anticipation or the awareness of danger. Amen. The emotion that proceeds from the anxious concern in anticipation of harm or danger. Now listen to this. An expectancy of judgment and punishment. Judgment and punishment. Now, 
As a transient verb, it's to expect the worst, to act, the act of being afraid or apprehensive. Now listen, I wrote this down when I was meditating on this uh, this afternoon and praying about this. Negative events of our life which result in pain. You ever had any pain in your life? Now come on, just be real honest. You ever had any pain? Negative events of our life which result in pain. Pain or hurt or a broken heart. That's why I went to my, my, my teaching on the heart. Without the knowledge of God is viewed as judgment. Now you hear this all the time in the world. What did I do to deserve this? You ever heard that phrase before? Now, what did I do to deserve this? Man, I was just going to work, going to school, you know, taking care of my kids, married to my husband, married to my... Now, what have I done to deserve this? See, what you're really saying, you may not consciously be thinking this, but what you're really saying is, now this negative event that comes into my life, somehow, someway, God has caused this, or if he didn't cause it, he could have stopped it from happening and he didn't do it. See, that's ignorance of God right there. That's ignorance of God right there. God is not here on the earth hurting people. God is not here on the earth messing people up. God is not causing divorce. God is not causing murder. God is not causing none of these things. The Bible says it's the thief that cometh but for to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. God does not want you to understand. God does not want you to have an understanding that he's looking to judge you in any way. You have already been judged. He said, when was I judged? You were judged when Jesus died upon the cross and the judgment of fallen humanity was placed upon him and the day you got born again was the day you stepped into that which God used to judge his son with so that you could be free of judgment and receive the rewards that Jesus got through his resurrection. Judgment was on the cross, reward was in the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now listen. What did I do to deserve this? Now, enough of this trauma and the natural mind will determine someone up there doesn't like me. You can go out in here. Enough of that trauma and people will, you'll start thinking, man, I'm telling you, someone up there doesn't like me. I mean, everything I try to do, man, my dog died, my cat died, my car got wrecked. I mean, all this. And all, what you're doing is you're saying God is looking down upon you instead of looking on you with love and compassion and mercy and grace. He's looking on me with judgment and these things are happening to me trying to get my attention that if you don't stop what you're doing, then you're going to get even more judged and you're going to get wiped out. Come on. That's how the world thinks about it. Now listen. Enough of this trauma and the natural mind. Now remember the natural mind. It's that enmity with God. It's God's enemy. Someone up there doesn't like me. Therefore, you unjustly judge and fear God in the wrong way. Now listen. The most profound symptom of this is anger. It is the band-aid of emotion that you direct at others and for this anger to be affected. Now listen to me. It must be directed at the ones you love the most. Now come on. You say, what do you mean by that? You know, you just take a young couple or you take a middle-aged couple. 
Or you take any couple that gets married that has some baggage. Amen? That has a little baggage in their life. And next thing you do is you start judging one another and responding to one another, not based on who you are and what you are to one another. You start judging and responding to one another based on the pain and the hurt of what's happened to you before you came together. Amen. Now, this is very prevalent in people that go through divorce and remarry. Uh, let's see, Sunday, September the 15th, was my 41st wedding anniversary. But not to Leah. Leah and I have been married 33 years. So I was married three years and it was a total disaster. And the breakup was painful, it hurt, it was harmful. Leah, before Leah and I got married, she was fixing to, to marry a young man. They had lived together for a while. They were fixing to get married, actually for several years, four years, I think. So when we came together, thank God, we immediately recognized this in our life. We immediately recognized that we were not responding to one another according to who we were to one another because we feared the repeat of the negative emotions we experienced in relationships with somebody else. Did you hear what I just said? We feared that. And because we feared that, what flared? Anger would flare at each other on anything that even smelt like or looked like what was in the past. A word said, something done. And I tell you, if it wasn't for the grace of God, if that would have continued on, we couldn't have stayed together. But we recognized it and we realized it and we began to seek the Lord and to seek the things of God to where we were able to overcome that and begin to respond to one another as we should as two innocent people coming together in the covenant of marriage without the baggage of our past. You say, how did you do that? Through the power of redemption and recognizing and realizing that we were not those people that made those mistakes. We were not those people that suffered the trauma. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus and old things have passed away. And anything you enter into by faith will overcome the fear of that which you have in your life that has come from the baggage of your past. So we're not telling you this because it's something we read in somebody's book. We've experienced this. We know how this works. So you've got to understand that's literally how the enemy operates in our lives. And it'll, it can go back. It can be generational. You say, well, you know, I thought you didn't believe in those generational curses. They go all the way back to Adam. Amen. You have, you have trauma in your life. Your parents had trauma in their life. Your grandparents had trauma. It's transferable. It flows down from the generations and it exacerbates itself. It manifests itself in an even greater manner. We've had people in our office doing marriage counseling with us that had very young children. I'm talking about just being able to talk or communicate. What would that be? Two and a half, maybe three years old. 
You know, just being able to talk and, and, and communicate and say things like, you know, something more than just mama or dada, but actually able to, you know, tell you what they want to eat, tell you they're hungry, tell you this, tell you that. So, so, so in, in counseling sessions with them, they would say things like, we, well, Pastor, we just don't know. We just don't know why our children are so angry. I had one, one, one husband say, my son is in a rage all the time. He grabs his things. He throws them up against the wall. Where is he getting this? We give them everything they want. We, have, we provide a home. Uh, they, they go to a wonderful. Why are they like this? It's because it's transferring. There's a transfer that's taking place into those little children. They don't know it. They're innocent. That shows you how insidious the adversary is. And if you don't understand how these things work, then the very first force... The very first negative force that entered into humanity through the fall, which was fear, which is the enemy's greatest weapon, will get into your life. And I guarantee you, in order to guard that fear, you'll be an angry person. And the problem with anger, it leads to rage, and rage is never controlled. Rage is like a wildfire. And buddy, when it gets going, you'll do things you wish you'd never done. You'll say things you wish you'd never said. You'll be, listen, you'll, 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 be, you'll literally be a slave to it. And even though you may say, well, you know, every time I get mad and every time I, uh, every time I fly off the handle, every time I, I always ask for forgiveness or, or I always say, well, why, why should you repeat a weakness so often and have to depend on forgiveness to bring something normal into your life? When you can be free of it. Everybody say be free. Go to Job real quick. My time's running out. It's getting quiet in here. Go to Job. Now, Job, oh, before I, you got to be careful. You really need the book of Job taught to. You don't just dig around in Job and think you're going to, get some great revelation because you got to determine who's saying what and why they're saying it. Then there's a lot of stupid things said in the book of Job that people equate to God, but God never said that. Either one of Job's stupid friends said that or Job said that under duress. Amen. But it talks about all the different, you know, his, his, uh, he had, he had seven sons and three daughters and talks about how, how Job was, you know, always uh, 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 giving sacrifice, offering sacrifice. Now, if you go and you do some study, you get some, some historical perspective, here's, here's what the Bible commentaries think was going on. Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Job predates uh, uh, Moses, Genesis, Abraham, all that stuff predates all of that. Job is, is considered to give revelation of a, of a dispensation ending before the Abrahamic uh, 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 dispensation began. Where there were beings on the earth, we, we really don't know who they were. Uh, there were other uh, things that were going on. Uh, things like uh, Satan still having access to heaven and all kinds of things like that. So Job had seven sons, three daughters, and had all this wealth. He was blessed of the Lord. Amen. He served the Lord. But now the Bible says that he did abstinence. To, or or how, do, how does it say it? Let me, let me find it here. There in verse uh, 5. Read in verse 5. It says, It was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sacrificed and, and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings According to the number of them, all 
For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did continually. Now, here's what Job's doing. Job is watching his seven sons and three daughters. Now, Bible commentators, if you go study, you'll find this out. Many of them think that Job's sons and daughters were caught up in this very debaucherous celebration to the point that there was probably even incest going on between them. I mean, they were just, they were, they were partying off the charts. They were doing all kinds of bad things. They were doing sexual bad things. They were doing, you know, they were just, they were just drunken and crazy is what they were doing. So the drunker they got, the crazier they got, the more perverted they got, the more he offered unto God on their behalf. Why? Trying to stop judgment. He did not want God to look down upon his family and judge them. Well, what happened? <laughs> they all died. They all got judged. They, they all died in a horrible way, and Job lost everything he had. Now, I know we can go and study the part about, you know, the sons of God and all that presenting themselves before God, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. Go to Job chapter 3. That's where I wanted you to go. Now, look at, look at what he says. Verse 24 of Job chapter 3, he said, For my sign cometh before, before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Do you see that? So really the conclusion of what, what happened to Job is this. Job was offering unto God, trying to stop the judgment of God from coming upon his family, and he was doing it in fear of that judgment. And when Satan made an accusation to God and said, you put, a, put your hand upon him and li you, literally, you literally have cocooned him and allowed him to flourish. But I tell you, if I stepped in, see, why would the devil say that? Because he had a right to do it because of that fear. And Job was offering unto God, telling God, Lord, I'm afraid you might judge him. Here, here's a, here's a, here's a lamb. Here's a, here's a heifer. Here's this. Here's that. Oh, my goodness, look what they're doing now. Here's five lambs. Here's three heifers. Oh, my goodness, look what they're doing now. Here's ten lambs. So he was just out of fear. He was just doing more and more, and he became obsessed with it. Fear will always lead you into an obsession. People get obsessed because of fear. And it'll lead them into a, there's people today that are obsessed with gambling. That are obsessed with, 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 with perverse lifestyles. I got, we, where was, uh, we bought Leah, uh, Breland a car and I gave him my, uh, what's it called? Email. Email address. And, uh, which I don't give it out anymore. I'm just going to get rid of it all. Get me a new phone or something. And I tell you, people started sending me stuff. And I thought to myself, what in the world are they sending me this junk for? Now, the reason that stuff is out there is because there are people so obsessed with perversion that they're making a living on it. Let me say that again. There are people so obsessed with perversion, with addiction, with all of these different, quote, we call them what? Vices. You say, why is that? Because human nature craves or has appetite 
For that which will do what? Well, that which will satisfy or just for a few moments give them a little peace or turn their attention away from the judgment of God. How many remember uh, Tim Conway? Does anybody remember? He's, he's, he's hopefully went on to be with the Lord. He was a comedian. You know, he's on McHale's Navy, Carol Burnett. You know, this, this might date some of us that some of you don't know who that is. Well, you're just... You just hadn't caught up with us yet. Amen? Anyway, one night coming home from a meeting, I started listening to him, and he was giving a, a kind of a testimony uh, because he'd gotten free from gambling. He didn't give the Lord the credit. He gave some counseling or something like that. But he started talking about his gambling addiction. And he started talking about he was a, uh, uh, he gambled on the horses. He went to the horse track in, there in uh, 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 California. And he's talking about, he said, you know, uh, he had spent, he said, man, I, I blew three fortunes. He said, you know, one time I lost uh, close to $400,000 in a weekend uh, betting on the horses. And he said, I really didn't care if I won or lose. I said, it didn't matter to me. I just had to go bet. I just had to do it. He said, I was obsessed with it, just obsessed with it. He said, and it really it was some of my friends that, that did an intervention and got me some help because I was so obsessed because I was heading toward the bottom. And he said, the, the, the interviewer, the interviewer was Larry King. Larry King said to him, why? Why were you so obsessed? He said, here's why. From the time the horses broke out of the starting gate to the time they crossed the finish line, I didn't know how to have to consider anything going off in my life. Nothing that was going on, my divorces, my bankruptcies, my Hollywood career, I didn't have to consider any of it, any of the negative things, any of the positive things. All I had to do is watch the horses run. That's all I had to do is watch the horses run. And as long, now listen, this is what he said. As long as the horses were running, I wasn't in pain. Amen? Well, there's a lot of people out there that the horses are running. And the thing is, is they'll run for a while. But of, of all the things of life, pain always seeks the path of least resistance back into your life. You say, what do you mean by that? You can, you can cover it with addictions. You can put drugs on it. You can put alcohol on it. Listen, and we, we talk about the negative things of drug and alcohol, but people, people get obsessed with their jobs. They, get, they, they pour themselves into jobs, they, 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 sports or hobbies, all kinds of things. They're just, they're just, you know, because while they're involved in that obsession for those few minutes when the fish are biting or the ducks are flying or the, or the stock market numbers are going or whatever it is, I don't have to consider my pain because I'm afraid. I'm in fear of judgment. Look at the things I've done. Look at the, you know, you get people in middle age that's been through a couple of divorces, had a couple of negative things happen with children, things like that. And all of a sudden they're in fear of what? Of a judgment coming upon them. And the same word that Job spoke there is true today. That which you greatly fear will come upon you. That's a fact of life. There's people I've heard I've had, I tell you, it's just one of the most of my, people say things like, well, I know, man, if anybody get cancer, it's me. They'll get it. Amen. They'll live in the fear of mama having cancer, grandma having cancer, great-grandma having cancer. Both my sisters had cancer. Both my brothers had cancer. I'm telling you, and what do they do? They live in fear of that next doctor's visit, that next doctor's report, in which may come the report. Oh, we found something there. There's something in there. I'm telling you, it will cause you to live in misery. And when you're touched emotionally by something negative, you'll respond in anger. Leave me alone. 
and you'll withdraw. Did you know that's one of the reasons God has churches, the body of Christ, so that you can be surrounded by people that you can feel safe with and that will help you as the Word of God is taught to each and every individual and each one receives on their own level of faith, then we learn how to walk in love toward one another. And when those kind of things happen, instead of responding to them with our own hurt, our own pain, and our own anger, we learn how to love one another. Amen? Now, go to Romans. Let's get some healing going here. Amen? Is this helping anybody tonight? Now, Romans chapter 8, let me go in my, let me make sure I got everything in that. Yeah, I didn't read the whole thing. For your anger to be effective, it must be directed at the ones you love the most. Now, you say, now why is that? People that you don't, people that are, you know, some guy working in a gas station, you get mad and blow up, they don't care. Amen? They don't care about how mad you are. They don't care about how upset. They just want you to pump the gas going down the road. They care less about your anger, your pain, or anything else. So you don't get any reciprocal emotion back from it. Amen? We don't, we're not going to go there right now. That, that, might, that, might, that might cause something we don't want to think about right now. Now listen. And for this anger to be effective, it must be directed at the ones you love the most, therefore rendering you ineffective in truly communicating your love because you have this festering sore of past hurts you cannot justify. Listen, love has to be communicated. One of the greatest venues of love's communication is giving. Now, now get rid of offerings and money. I'm talking about giving. You give your time to your husband, your wife, your children. You give your, you give your attention. You give, you give honor. Amen. You give all of these different things. You're giving one to another is the, the, the most profound manifestation of love because God's most powerful character trait is his love. And for God so what? For God so loved the world this is his answer to all this festering source. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave the thing that was most precious to him. His only begotten son. I'd love to be a, 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 a mouse under the throne of heaven and listen to how the father and the resurrected son communicate. Amen. You think the father ever gets mad at him? Lashes out. <laughs> you think Jesus ever says something like, you know, when are you going to get that throne reupholstered? You've been sitting on that thing for 25 millenniums. You know, we got angels around here can do all that. You think he ever has disappointments? You ever have any of the negative emotions that we actually feel and experience? You think God and the Son, as they communicate like that, do you think they ever have any of that going on? Absolutely not. It's so foreign to them, they don't even know what that would be. Because they are light, they are truth, and they are love. 
So everything is what? Everything is on an honor level. Everything is on a love level. You know, God is the one that when his son stepped back into heaven and took and poured his blood on the mercy seat, God is the one that looked at him and said, now I highly exalt you and I give you a name that is above every name, that at your name every knee must bow of things in heaven, earth, under the... Notice what he said. Every knee must bow of things of heaven, earth, and under the earth. He loved him enough to give him. He loved us enough to give him. And he loved him enough to exalt him and give him a name above every name. That's why the Bible said perfect love casts out all fear. There's no fear in heaven. Why? Because there's perfect love. Now, in Romans, did I tell you, tell you Romans 8? Let me, go to my, let me go to my heart book real quick. Where fear abides in our lives, where it lives and where it tries to make its, make its manifestation is in the area of where our hearts have been broken. And every one of us has been there. We've all had a situation, a circumstance, a problem, whatever it may be, a person that has broken our hearts. Amen? Now, broken heart, any area in which your heart is not guarded is a potential area of being broken, bruised, or offended. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. One translation says, above all, above everything else, guard your heart. One says, use all your watchfulness to guard your heart. Another one says this, guard your heart more than any other treasure that you own or any other treasure that you have. Now, a broken heart is any event, situation, life experience, or circumstance which renders your heart ineffective to perform that which God intends it to perform. What is your heart designed to do? Now, we're, you know, we're not talking about the blood pump. We're talking about that, that, you know, your heart. You're supposed to love from your heart. You're supposed to serve God from your heart. You're supposed to trust in the Lord with all your... Man, you get in the Word of God and there's, there, there's example after, after example after example of how a healthy heart is supposed to operate. I'm supposed to keep you in my heart. You're supposed to keep me in your heart. See, a lot of times we don't do that. You say, why? Because we've had other people in there that we let into our heart and we let some of them all the way in. And when we let them all the way in there, they stomped around in there and made a big mess. So then what we begin to do is we gather years, we begin to allow people access but not entrance. You can access it. You can peek in there and look. But as far as me really putting you in my heart, because see, my heart's too bruised. My heart's too broken. My heart's too damaged. That's why this fear thing keeps me inhibited from serving the Lord the way I should. Because, now listen to me, because I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm glad it's a small crowd. But you know, I told you we're going to have some meat tonight, amen? Amen. Because I'm afraid if I really, you know, I see Pastor Rusty up there and I see his friends. Man, that guy, Paul Chase, some of those. My goodness, you know, these guys, what do they do? Pray in tongues all day long? What do they do? I mean, good. if I ever did that, 
that I may be asked to do something that I don't want to do. And the thing about being asked to do something by God that I don't want to do is I can't do that. Getting quiet in here. That's why we don't have missions conferences anymore. <laughs> you say, why? People say, I'm afraid if I go to a missions conference, God called me to go to Africa. So I'd rather not go to a missions conference. Because some preacher going to stand up and say, hey, you sitting right there, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go to Africa. What am I going to do now? I am what? I am afraid to do that. Amen. So it inhibits you in your prayer life. It inhibits you in the study of the Word of God. It inhibits you in your church in everything that has to do with connection to God because you really love God and you're born again and you know that if you die, you go to heaven. But if you really, really got close, real close where you felt his heartbeat in your heartbeat, you're afraid that he may tell you to do something that you don't want to do. And a lot of people put it off on going to Africa, South America, but that's not what he's going to tell you to do. He's going to start working on your hurts. And a lot of us are so adept at guarding them with fear and pride that we don't want God in there stomping around, you know, exposing, sifting, doing all these types of things to do what? To heal us of what the past has done to us. Come on, church. So we're like, okay, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I love you. Praise God. I'll put some money in the offering. I'll put some money in the building fund. I'll give to missions on Sunday. And this is how I'm, this is how I'm going to serve you. I may come to prayer every once in a while. I'll come to church on Wednesday night and Sunday. You know, I may even make a couple of, a couple of those conference meetings. I might come to a couple of those. Yeah, cool, you know. But to really seek you and seek your will for my life, I don't know. Because I've been there and done that. I've, I've been there. I've thought, man, if anybody ever disqualified themselves for doing what God told them to do, God called me to preach at age 17, and for 10 years I shook my fist at God. I did every kind of drug, did every kind of negative thing you could think of doing. And then when I came back to the Lord, I still didn't want to go preach. You say, well, I was in fear of judgment. Amen. You say, what do you mean in fear of judgment? I was in fear that if I did what God told me to do and failed because what he told me to do, I couldn't do it, then I'm going to bring more pain into my life and all the pain of my past was about all I could handle. You know what that problem is? You don't know God. You don't know him. You say, what do you mean? God will always tell you to do something in your life that you can't do so that he can do it through you and in the doing of it, fix your heart. Fix you up. Amen? And as he does that, next thing you find out is that all of this pain and all of this hurt and all of this disappointment that these people in my life from everyone close to me and everyone else that has, has given me this disappointment, and that's not God's judgment on me and that's not God trying to get my attention. There's a devil in the world, there's a world system and there's a deteriorating spirit that's dragging everyone down the drain, everyone at one time. 
And listen, whole nations and religions and whole societies are built on fear and authority. Amen? I mean, uh, 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 Pastor Paul and I were talking about the Muslim religion. Uh, uh, Some people we know have been holding some crusades in Pakistan. And that's, man, I'm telling you, it's strong there. And it is a hopeless, fearful religion. There's no hope in it. And it's full of fear. And people serve Allah and Muhammad as prophet and will kill you because you don't. Out of what? Faith? Love? Come on. (laughs) Doing it out of fear. And anger. Oh my goodness. You get around, (laughs) what God say like this? You get around some of them double Muslims. (laughs) That's what he called them. It's them double Muslims, man. I'm telling you, you got to watch out for them because they're really mad. <laughs> Amen. And then they try to transfer it into different, different ethnic groups, into different nations, into different people. And, and then we come in with what? We come in with a message of the love of God. I think that's amazing. What are the names that are over there doing that? The uh, Bowlings. They go over there and do what? Preach the love of Jesus. Christopher Allen, he goes and preaches the love. Then he says, Jesus loves you. He loves you. I used to love Teal Osborne when he used to teach up. Jesus loves you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He cares about you. You know how I know? See this blind person? Be healed. A blind person gets healed. See this lady in a wheelchair? Be healed. And they get healed. See, there were, there were, there were uh, 12 Sikhs. Sikhs are big from India. Tall, stately. Men of war with big turbans and they're going to whip Dr. Osborne and they're going to run him out of town because he's got a half a million people there listening to how much God loves them. And they're going to expose him as a fraud and they grab a little, a little lady, just poor beggar, been blind her whole life and they're going to throw her up on the stage and when she doesn't get healed, they got big whips under their, under their, under their cloaks and they're going to whip him with whips. So they grab the little lady and she's screaming and she's afraid and she's in the dark and they throw her up on the platform and Dr. Osborne goes over there with all that compassion and lifts her up and when he picks her up and stands her on her feet, her eyes pop open and he says, this is the love of Jesus. And all 12 of those Sikhs pastor churches today. Not because of authority, but because of love. Now, let me, let me close. I got one scripture. I'll pick this up next week. Is, is this, everybody's kind of looking at me like. <laughs> Sometimes you need that, amen? Sometimes you need that. Where were we at? Romans, Romans 8. Romans 8. Uh, just two scriptures real quick. 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now listen, this is so good. This is so good. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Ooh, I mean, if you don't understand, you say, what is, what is Paul writing to us here in Rome and here in Galveston? He said, now listen, when you got saved, it's not that old fallen human spirit that is a spirit of bondage to fear. You're bound to it. You know judgment's coming. See, that's... that's That's the adversary, Satan. He was judged when he was thrown out of heaven. His judgment was to be thrown out of heaven and hit the earth. 
Amen? He was judged by God for heaven. Then he came down and messed up man, so he was judged again for man. That's where your judgment got taken care of. Now, he knows one day God's going to bind me. He's going to throw me in a bottomless pit, and I'll never get out forever. This is an eternal being living on a clock. Amen? And everything about him is judgment and fear. Judgment and look what's going on in, my, in our nation. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, or, a, or a whatever you are. It doesn't matter to me. But what is everybody doing? We're judging each other, judging in fear that either we're not going to get the power or be able to hold the power or we're never going to get it back. Our whole nation is awash in it right now. If you can't see it, come on, church. That's what the whole nation's awash in. Either we're going to get the power. I'm telling you, they're, they're wrong. They conspire. We're not wrong. We didn't get, and they're either trying to hold on to what they've got or trying to get what the other one has. Amen. That's fear and that's judgment and the whole world's in bondage to it. The whole world. The whole world. But then Paul says, man, when you got born again, oh, glory to God, you got freed. Everybody say free. Now listen to it. Listen to the scripture. For you have not received the spirit. Now notice that's not a capital S. That's a little s. That's the human spirit. You've not gotten a human spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy God, enduring term. Oh, Daddy God is what some translation, cotton patch, the old, the old southern plantation, uh, the, 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 uh, the slaves wrote cotton patch. I don't know if you like cotton tr patch translation of the Bible. Powerful translation. Said, they write it like this. Oh, Daddy God, you love us. My Daddy God, my Father God. That says what? That means he took that, 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 that spirit in you of fear and bondage and put a spirit in you that cries out, Daddy God. Amen. Daddy means what? Daddy means what? Parental. They call it what? Spirit of what? Adoption. Now, if you go study this, you will find out that an adopted child has more rights than one born. Under Jewish law. I don't know about Texas law. Under Jewish law. When Paul was talking about the adopted child that steps into the family. Now, let me tell you who the adopted child children were. This will blow your mind. The adopted children of families were children of the bond servants. The bond servants come from Deuteronomy, where they are slaves of their masters in Israel. And their masters are so good to them and so kind to them and love them so much, they say this, take and put my ear on the post and drive an all through it and mark me with a ring through my ear that tells everybody I am forever your slave for you are so good to me. And the, the, and the, and the masters would take their children and adopt them. Now, what did that, what would that break? Could you imagine what slavery does to you? Now, I'm not talking about 300 years ago. I'm talking about now. You've lived as a slave. Somebody came into your nation. They got you through battle and conquest, and they brought you to their home and made you do what they told you to do. But your master was kind, and your master was good, and your master captured your heart. 
and your master gave you all a great home to live in, gave you wealth, gave you all this wonderful stuff to wear. And yeah, you did have to perform some things. You did have to obey, but the kindness and the goodness of your master overwhelmed you. So you allowed him to mark you and put a ring in your ear. And then as you and your wife produced children, instead of them being, oh, you got to get this. Instead of them being born in the house of a slave, the master adopted them. And they were what? Born free with no anger, with no pain, with no, no wonder they cried, daddy, daddy. And see, Paul knew all that. That's in the history of Israel. And he said, that's why when you got born again, you were not given that same old spirit of fear unto bondage, but you've been given the spirit of adoption that helps you cry, daddy, dad. That's what breaks that anger. That's what breaks that fear. That's what heals those three divorces. That's what heals those two bankruptcies. That's what heals the trauma of your youth. That's what heals whatever it is, is when you recognize and realize that I'm telling you, I'm not the one in which God put the all through the ear and marked with the ring. That was Jesus. I'm the one that because of the benevolence of the Father, has adopted me into the family and given me rights above. Now, let me do that just for a second, then we'll close. You want me to do it? Jesus is a conqueror. What are you? You're more than a conqueror. You say, what do you mean? I'm trying to show you how he took through redemption this great victory and then by you getting it, it is an enhancement of what he has gotten. He had to go through it all. You don't have to go through nothing. All you have to do is receive it by what? By what? By why don't we teach faith so much? I don't know why I'm going to teach you on faith. Why don't I? Because without, see, you people, people, you got to get your mind segregated from faith for a new car and faith for a new ring, faith for us. That's fine. That will work for you. But you have to have faith in who you are in Christ and what God has done for you through redemption. And as you have faith for that, material things will come and go. It really doesn't matter. But once you realize the, 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 the vast, Love of a heavenly father that has done all he can do to redeem you and draw you to himself. And what fear is, is you pushing against that instead of opening your arms and coming to it. That's why submission, that's why all these things that God puts in the Bible, righteousness, submission, the, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the, all of these things are designed to give us a picture of the Father and then for us to experience it here on earth so that other people can actually see what it means to be set free. Testimony after testimony of men and women that have gone. I went to Bible school with a guy that, that uh, uh, he was uh, in the mafia in, uh, up in New Jersey in the East Coast. And, man, he was a bad dude. I mean, this guy was an enforcer, and, and he was, uh, they put him in solitary confinement because he, he uh, was in an altercation in the prison yard and almost killed a guy and all this kind of stuff. And in the, in the solitary confinement under the bed, there was nothing. They stripped his clothes off, and he laid on a, all he had was a mattress on the floor. 
And I'd shove a pan in there with food in it, and he'd have, then he'd have to use it for, you know, you just have to use your imagination. But it wasn't good. Six months he was in there. He found a piece of a track stuffed up in the corner. John 3.16 was the only thing on that track. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He read it over and over and over, day after day after day, till one day he got on his knees and put his hands up. He said, if this God is real, I want you. And he got born again right there in that, right there in that solitary confinement cell up there in New Jersey. He got out. He went back to his cell. And his, his cellmates, who were all part of this mafia family, almost beat him to death three different times. And then they scheduled an execution for him. They're going to kill him. They're going to shank him in the showers. And here's how they were going to do it. They were going to go get that. A guy in the, in the, in the uh, prison, they had blinded. They had blinded him. And they were going to get him, and they were going to throw that blind guy up there to him and say, heal this blind man. If he didn't heal that blind man, they're going to murder him right there and kill him. No mercy whatsoever. And he wasn't, he'd just been out of the solitary confinement six weeks. But he got him a Bible, started reading the Bible. And he said, they told him, they said, you heal this blind man, we're going to kill you. There's all these big prisoners standing around. And he said, all I remember was I read a story about Jesus. And he spit in the, in, in, in the dirt and he made mud and he put it on somebody's eyes. So he said, man, I just spit in the dirt. He said, I made some mud. He said, I smeared it on that guy's eyes. I said, take him over there and wash it off. They took him over there and washed it off. And guess what? The guy could see. Amen. You talk about revival in a prison. What was that? that what's, that's what God looks like. Amen. Right there. And he'll do the same for you. Don't let your fear, don't let your anger, don't let those things, listen, if you've not dealt with it, you will because every one of us have it. There's trauma in all of our lives. But the thing you have to do is you have to deal with it on the level of the Word of God and the redemptive power that God has put in that Word through what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. As we've been teaching on Sunday, that's faith for your life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, I went too long, so stand on your feet. Father, thank you tonight for each and every person here and Lord, for anyone that's dealing with fear and anger issues, thank you tonight that they recognize and realize that they have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And I thank you tonight that each and every individual here tonight will take the Word of God, that which we've spoken and taught on, make application of it to their heart, and allow that spirit of adoption to cause them to rise up in the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and not be just a healed person, but a whole person. That we might have wholeness, not just healing, but wholeness. We thank you for it, Father. Now, Lord, as is our tradition here at Island Church, thank you that you protect us during this inclement weather Thank you for the rain, but we've had enough. So, Lord, we thank you for your blessing. Thank you that, according to Psalms 91, no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh our dwelling. Angels have charge over us. Lord, we thank you that no matter how we travel, highway, airway, seaway, railway, any other way of travel or transportation, or what we do with the righteous labor of our hands, the resource you've given us, Thank you that we're protected, we're safe, we're not subject to trauma, to terror, evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. Thank you, Lord God, that as we leave tonight, as we walk through the 
doors of the church that we recognize and realize that you're thrusting us out into a mission field. Help us practice the ministry of reconciliation. Let our light shine. Don't let it be hid under a bushel. Let us be a blessing to people, an answer to their prayer, a problem to the adversary. Let us not give them religion. Let us give them Jesus. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, we leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you. We leave tonight walking in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.